As we come now to study God's word, let me lead you in prayer. Before we commence to study your word, our Heavenly Father, we ask that uh, your blessing will be upon our eyes and our ears and our heart so that we hear and understand and apply your word in the exact way that you intended it when it was first inspired by you to the original writers. We want to express our appreciation for having your word in our own language. We thank you for motivating those down through the ages who have laboured to keep our English Bibles up to date and true to the original. Please enable us to honour their service by conforming our lives and attitudes to the truth of your inspired word. Please bless our study now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. As a young Christian, I grew up in the Church of Christ in Tasmania, uh, where I was converted, and uh, most of the people in our church uh, were using a thing called daily bread. Uh, any of you still use daily bread? There's other, other different types of it, like a devotional, it's a, a reading for each day, a Bible reading and a prayer and usually some notes to explain the passage. Our pastor had us, uh, well most of us, the scripture union rep was the one that promoted it and so because a, a good majority of the church were using it, uh, the pastor then on a Sunday he would preach on one of the passages that we'd read during the week. So it was a very good way to get the whole church focused in the same direction. And when we got together, whether it was youth group or Bible study or we just met each other sometime, we could actually talk about the reading. What did you think of that passage? So what did Paul mean when he, you know, etc., etc.? So it was a very good community building sort of concept. The Daily Bread notes um, actually suggested that you uh, ask some questions as you read the text. And ever since uh, I was a young Christian then, I've done the same thing. I've asked those questions as I've read the text of Scripture. Uh, Most Bibles only have a very small margin, sometimes in the middle, but usually on the sides. So uh, what I learned to do was to uh, use symbols for the questions that you ask. Uh, Most of the readings in the the Bible uh, do have some difficult passages you have trouble with, so you can use a, a code to say, come back to that later or ask someone else about that question. Uh, The Bible really comes alive to us as we do that, as we ask questions. I don't know about you, but maybe you're one of those people that read a chapter a day. I find that a bit too much, so I sort of work on about a paragraph. And sometimes I might read that paragraph for two or three days. Uh, At the moment I'm reading in Philippians and I'm reading it several days because there's just so much packed into those verses. So I think it's a good idea to do that because if you read a chapter, I don't know, in my early days I remember I'd read a chapter and say, now, what did I just read? Uh, Can't remember. So taking on too much is a problem and not being able to focus. But asking questions and looking for things. You know, Jesus said, seek and you shall find. So what I've done is developed a whole lot of over the years uh, symbols, questions to ask, things to look for in the scripture and uh, the Scripture Union daily notes gave me a number of them but I've added to them over the, over the years and it helps me to focus on the Scriptures. So I want to share some of that with you today. Uh, so I want to ask questions as you read the Bible as a heading. As you read your Bible, ask yourself the question, is there a command that I can obey, or that I need to obey? So when you find a command, write a little C in the margin, that's the symbol, and uh, use that to represent a command whenever you find one. 
to demonstrate what I mean, let's go to the letter of nobody? Oh, Sue got it. James. Let's go to the letter of James. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. James says there, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Can you see a command in that verse? If you can, you're doing very well. But the next verse says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Is there a command there to obey? Yeah. So you can see, you can just read the verse quickly and pass over it, but when you're saying, well, I'm looking for a command, is there a command to obey, then you pick it up. We are commanded there to consider our trials as a reason to rejoice. You've heard this before, haven't you? I've certainly preached on it before here. It's a very good command. You say, I've heard it all before, Ted. Well, maybe you need to hear it again because you may be forgetting to rejoice in your trials. Maybe, just maybe you grumble and complain instead of rejoicing. So it's a good verse to remind ourselves of as well, isn't it? The word consider has the meaning of to think, to suppose or count. It's actually an accounting word. It means to calculate, to judge or to be of the opinion about something. So James is commanding us to change our thinking and our attitude towards trouble and hassles in our life. That's the command. Are you going through a trial at the moment? Sure you are. I think we all are. Well, they're sometimes not as big a trials as other times, but sometimes they're bigger than what we can handle. Do you need to obey this command to change the way you think about your troubles and difficulties? What does the word joy mean in this passage? The word joy is not just any ordinary joy, but as James says, pure joy, total or absolute joy is what it means there. The writer of this letter, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is saying that each person reading this letter needs to consider each trial, difficulty and circumstance they face as an opportunity to rejoice. The word joy means to be glad, to rejoice, to exult, to delight. James is not proposing that we deny our pain, but to see it as part of God's plan designed to make us stronger. We call that in theological terms sanctification. Uh, We must focus through our trials to God's promises of eternity and that makes us, uh, gives us a reason to rejoice. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that in all things God works for good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God designs our trials to make us like his son. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, the verses that uh, were read to us earlier. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this word again, consider, that's a command, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just as Jesus endured the cross by focusing on future glory, the glory of heaven, we too must rejoice in the Lord by focusing on heaven to come. Rejoicing in our trials is one of the marks of a true believer. That's quite a statement, isn't it? So when we complain, we're betraying who we really are. Notice that our trials are not only to be many, but will be of various kinds. 
That's true, isn't it, from our experience? Notice also James does not say if you face trials. He says whenever you face them. Trials of various kinds will come to you. It's guaranteed. We have experienced them in the past. We have them now and we will have them in the future. Looking for the good news now? Well, there is good news. John Blanchard in his commentary says this. The Greek word translated face, as in facing trials, in the NIV has the meaning of a sudden unexpected event, like an ambush. He says the same word is used in the story of the Good Samaritan as a traveller travelling down to Jericho. Suddenly he was attacked. James has given us a warning. We will be ambushed by tests to our faith. We need to be ready to count such unexpected events as opportunities to rejoice. It's the unexpected ones that generally get us, isn't it? If we can see it coming, we can prepare. It's a bit like when you learn to drive. You need to learn for things that may happen. And if you've been driving for a lot of years, you can almost predict what the people are going to do. You can see a car starting to go a little bit left, he's going to change lanes. You know, um, indicator or no indicator. So you learn to do that. But it's the ones who do it with totally unexpected and suddenly that get us. We need to be ready for that. This verse is not an easy verse to apply to our lives. I have to say that I'm not the sharpest chisel in the shed and maybe you aren't either. And my children a number of times would remind me they heard me preach on this verse a number of times and use it and they would say when I'm reacting with complaining or negatively Dad, they would say, remember what you preach. Stop complaining and start rejoicing. Isn't it good when our children do that for us? Isn't it good when we do it for our children? We need to be doing that for each other as Christians. So you come to me and say, I've got this massive problem. I say, rejoice. You might want to slap me with the love of Jesus and say, shut up, Ted, with acknowledgement to Anna for the quote. Yeah. Notice this command has promises attached to it. James in chapter 1 verses 3 to 4 says, Because you know that the testing of faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I can introduce you there to another symbol. The first symbol is a C for command to obey. The next symbol is P for a promise. This is where we ask the question, as we read the text, is there a promise that I can hold on to and apply to my life? So as you read your Bible, don't just look for commands, also look for the promises. Do you see the promises in this passage? If we respond the right way to trials, James says, they will help develop our perseverance. Who needs perseverance? Anybody here? Yeah, endurance, stickability, whatever you want to call it. So if we react the right way, eventually it will result in us becoming, notice what James says in that passage, mature, well-rounded, mature believers. That's a great promise to hold on to and apply to our life, particularly when we're going through battles. So if you have a pen and your Bible there, write P next to that promise there in the Bible. I wonder if James has in mind the teaching of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Here's the words again. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
So James is getting his idea of rejoicing from Jesus who said rejoice and be glad, particularly in trials, even persecution. The first disciples practiced this, didn't they? Acts chapter 5, 40 and 41. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin complaining and grumbling. Oh no, that's not what the NIV says there, is it? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Are you suffering some trial at the moment? Are you complaining or are you rejoicing? How would you respond if you'd just been whipped or flogged, if you want to use the old English term? The Apostle Peter exercises the teaching of James and Jesus when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the Apostle Paul also wrote about this as well, this habit of rejoicing. In his letters, it's one of the themes that come up in particular and that's why I read as the call to worship this morning the references in Philippians about joy. So joy and rejoicing are found right throughout Paul's letters. And of course Philippians 4 verses 4 and 5, those familiar words from the chorus, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. I was tempted to break into song there, but I thought maybe I shouldn't do that. Christians in the past have promised, have practiced rather this command when they were persecuted. Hebrews chapter 10, 32 to 34 that Zach read earlier. Remember those early, earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. <clears throat> Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathised with those in prison and joyfully, there's the word, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. In other words, they're looking to heaven. The word that James uses for testing has the meaning of proving or in the sense of refining like they do with gold or steel in that refining process. William Barclay in his commentary says, the whole point of them, that is our trials, is that they are not sent to make us fall, they are sent to make us sore. They are not sent to defeat us, they are sent that we may defeat them. It's a good quote, isn't it? Alec Motcher in his commentary says, but suppose the day comes, as it does and will, when circumstances rock your creed, that is what you believe, when the cruelty of life denies his fatherliness, his silence calls into question his almightiness and the sheer haphazard meaningless meaningless can't get that out jumble of events challenge the possibility of a creator's ordering hand it is in this way that life's trials test our faith for genuineness have you ever encountered that kind of experience that it seems God is silent it seems that life is meaningless and haphazard out of control that's part of the tests of faith. As you encounter a fellow believer 
you can, who can still rejoice in a situation like this, it's a great encouragement to us. Such believers are a challenge and a rebuke to us. And you determined, are you, sorry, determined to rejoice in the Lord regardless of the many and various trials that you're going to face. Another quote from a writer. Denial, complaint. This is what it means. This is the wrong ways, rather, to react to trials. Denial, complaint, self-pity, guilt, confusion, fear and anger. So there are lots of ways that we can react the wrong way, isn't there, to these temptations. What we need to do is react the right way. That's quite a list, isn't it? And maybe you need to look at that list and say, perhaps I've reacted the wrong way to these trials. Uh, Maybe you should then respond to this by repenting and confessing your sin. Let me introduce you to a third symbol, S2C, stands for sin to confess. This is where we ask the question, is there a sin I need to confess? So as you go through in your mind those wrong reactions to trials, maybe you should next, write next to this verse, this is a sin I need to confess. Father, please forgive me for reacting the wrong way to these trials and then turn away from them. Have you ever reacted the wrong way to a trial? What a silly question to ask. Of course you have. Of course I have. Do you therefore need then to be looking as you read your Bible for sins that you need to confess that you read there in the scriptures that others have done? That leads me to the third symbol that we can use, the letter R. R stands for the word repent. It sort of goes with confession, confession and repentance. When we are convicted of some sin by the Holy Spirit, we need to then repent of that sin, confess it and repent. Repentance, of course, is a turning away or turning around from the direction in which you've been going. Is there, uh, this is where we need to ask this question all the time. Is there a sin I need to repent of? Some of you, and I know some of you, are, if you haven't been through it yourself, members of your family or friends have been diagnosed with the dreaded C word for cancer. Some of you have actually undergone chemotherapy. This treatment has many bad side effects due to the fact that it is really poisonous. We may rightly ask the doctor, is such drastic treatment necessary, considering it poisons the whole body and makes me so sick? The doctor is likely to say to you, well, do you want to get better? This is what you must do. There's no other way. That's what we need to do with our trials and our wrong reactions. Rejoicing in our many trials is like spiritual medicine. That will eventually result in our sanctification, making us more like the Lord Jesus. There's no other way. Do you need to respond with joy when you face trials? Or do you respond with anger, frustration, discouragement and gloom? You choose how you respond. It's your responsibility. You're making the choices. Are you making the right choices? Have you considered the example of the Lord Jesus? Are you ready for the unexpected trials that are ahead of you? Are you following the good example of true believers down through the ages? Read a good biography. They're very encouraging. Are you obeying this command from James? Are you confessing your wrong choices that you have made? Do you need to confess a sin or write the letter R next to this verse? The second command found in the book of James is found in chapter 1 verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
This second command is a little bit harder to find in the English, but the word must there is actually in the imperative tense in the Greek. The word means to bring about, hold on to, or possess. Is there something you must do? Others cannot do it for you. This is an action, a responsibility that you have. As we continue to rejoice and persevere, the result will be growth in our Christian faith. The genuine believer will continue to grow and learn until they die. They will not give up following the Lord Jesus, but will continue on in perseverance, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. The word mature means to be physically developed, of stable character, complete and genuine. Our rejoicing and perseverance must be allowed to finish their task of making us mature and complete and holy. It is essential that we cooperate with the work of our sanctification, which is being brought about in our life by the Holy Spirit. We tend to rebel against these trials and hardships that God brings to our lives. We've already said that, haven't we? Which intends to make us stronger. That's what God's intention is, to make you stronger and mature. When we rebel against God's plan for our sanctification, we need to repent of our wrong reactions and bad attitudes by then once again submitting to God's plan and purpose for our life. The word perseverance means to have endurance, steadfastness, long-suffering, to bear up under suffering courageously. James refers to persevering again in chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Peter Davids in his commentary tells us that the Apostle Paul uses the word perseverance 16 times in his writings, indicating that the concept is very important to his thinking and teaching. James speaks of perseverance eight times in his short letter of 108 verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 We ought always to thank God for you brothers and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love of every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. Wouldn't that be good if someone said that about us in our church? The writer of the book of Hebrews also exhorts us to persevere. Again, let's look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, here's the word again, and race the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You notice there the verse, uh, verse let speaks our eyes on Jesus. What did he do? for the joy set before him. So all we're being asked to do by James is follow the example of the Lord Jesus. Surely if we are Christians, we should also be rejoicing in our trials and persevering. Hebrews 10, 23-25 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider 
as that word, consider again, change our thinking, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. In other words, focus on heaven. This passage in Hebrews gives us five commands to obey. Can you see the commands there? Firstly, we are to hold on to our hope. Secondly, we are to spur one another on to love. Thirdly, we are to spur one another on to doing good deeds. Fourthly, we must stop meeting we must not stop meeting together. Fifthly, we need to encourage each other till Jesus comes back. Are you taking these five steps? These five steps to persevering seriously? Are you obeying those five commands? Are you encouraging each other to be steadfast in your faith? Are you responding the right way to your circumstances? Let me lead you in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the challenging passages that we've studied this morning. We thank you for the many challenges that we have faced in the past in our lives and for those still to come in the future. We confess that we have so often reacted the wrong way to our trials that you have sent to us. Help us, we pray, in the future to react the right way. We have grumbled and complained and we have doubted your character and questioned your wise direction for our lives. Please forgive our foolish reasoning that expects our walk in this fallen world to be like a bed of roses. Enable us, we pray, to rejoice in the challenges, knowing that you are training and sanctifying us in order that we be more like our Lord Jesus. We thank you for your promise that if we respond to our circumstances with faith, that we will grow stronger and become more mature and be a great blessing to those around us and that we will be more like the Lord Jesus. We bring you our thanks in his name. Amen. Please stand as we sing our final song together, Hymn of Heaven. <laughs>